Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit DreamMakerRacing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. Ah, uh, yes. And we're live, pal. Welcome back. Uh, a, a rough weekend to start off this week of the Stewcast. Uh, big show today. We got the college football review show, as always. Later on, Sean Belizean, our good friend from 760 WJR in Detroit. He will be stopping in. We're going to talk some Michigan football and a few other things. Probably a Lions loss. I don't know. Um, but, of course, you know, we've got our man, the Bobcat, John Castorani, calling in. From lovely uh, Fairhope, Alabama. How you doing, brother? Doing all right, man. It was a rough day. Uh, I'm going to get it off my chest and eat humble pie. I was wrong about the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I apologize, especially to Dr. Dustin, who threw down $100 on the minus five and a half. You know, Clemson giving five and a half. Uh, Didn't work out. Uh, I'll have some more to say when we when we hash out the recap, but I just got to get it off my chest. I was wrong. We'll discuss schematically uh, how good Notre Dame is. I don't think they're great, but they are good. But, yep, I apologize. A lot of apologies to start off this show. Uh, but we're not going to apologize, me and the Bobcat, having good weeks if you listen to the preview show. I went 6-2. and two. Bobcat, you were 4-2. and two. Chris, ugh. He's going to have some explaining to do uh, one and two on his plays, but uh, hopefully next week we can uh, even increase our totals, increase our uh, records, get that winning percentage up for you. Also, before we get into this show, I know Bobcat, you're really psyched about it. We're, we're less than three weeks out from college basketball. November 25th, there's like 100 games being played. Uh, in the next coming weeks, you're going to start seeing a lot more college basketball talk. We're just arranging uh, the chairs on the Titanic over here. So just trying to get interviews set up and previews in place. We got to do a lot of research and reading. Uh, and so it's coming. It'll be happening in the next few weeks. So uh, that's very exciting. I am stoked. It's just what the doctor ordered uh, for 2020, I know that we uh, we missed out on the March Madness and, and bracket season due to the pandemic, which was tragic. Um, and now you're dealing with the pandemic still in a crazy, crazy, crazy election season. Uh, I think it's just what the doctor ordered. Dr. Dustin is ordering this. Dr. Nate Oates down at Alabama is ordering this. And Dr. SEC is probably ordering some. Yeah, Dr. SEC, all the doctors. And guys, I'm pushing Stu really hard. For all you Alabama listeners out there, pushing them really hard to get Brett Hudson, who is not afraid to pull up a jumper on your ass uh, from Tuscaloosa <laughs> News, 
to come on on the show and break down the amazing recruiting cycle that Nate Oates has had. It's a great year. You know, I think this is the one year we enter the tourney and we do pretty well. So get pumped up, roll tide, all that. Just get pumped up, baby. Yeah, I, I, I've put out the message. So hopefully we can get them to talk some SEC basketball. But, uh, you know, hey, let's start off. We, we got a, our, our apologies out. And, you know, this show has been absolutely wrong to some degree. I, I, I'm not going to go out 100%, but to a certain degree, we've been wrong about Notre Dame. They showed up. They played one of the best, not the best, not complete. And Clemson was a fraud coming into the game to a certain degree. They're not the number one team, maybe the number three team in the country coming into the game in my mind. Uh, And Notre Dame, you know, took it to them and battled hard. Uh, I know you're going to get into schematics, but from what I saw, because I I had it up, but I was also watching uh, AEW Full Gear. Shout out uh, Le Champion, Chris Jericho. Uh, I, from what I saw, this has been a key, a key thing for me in watching Clemson all year. And that is they cannot seem to get Etienne in this running game established. You look at his stat lines last night, 28 yards rushing. He's had multiple weeks of well under 100 yards rushing. Uh, last year, it seemed like They had enough weapons with T. Higgins and Justin Ross, you know, healthy running. And this offensive line was better last year. And it seems like that really opened up the run game. And that's what really makes this Clemson offense go. I didn't see it. I haven't seen it. And uh, DJ uh, Ugalagale? Ugalagale? Just call him DJ. Everybody knows DJ. Yeah. Well, DJ, he's a hell of a quarterback. The wide receiver talent, it's there. But, you know, again, you're talking about a young wide receiving core outside of Amari Rogers and fumbles, uh, drop passes, huge problems. I mean, they should in red zone offense, a huge issue. Uh, Defensively, we knew this Clemson defense wasn't anything crazy. It's, it's a very young defensive line. Maybe in three years, this might be the best in the country. But right now, it's, it's a very young defensive line. And Notre Dame's proven that they can, they can beat you. That first 75-yard uh, one run that uh, Williams had, I mean, he wasn't even touched. And it was beautiful blocking. I mean, he had a perfect hole. It's like how you set it up. It's almost like it caught Clemson off guard. And this team feels like it needs to get punched in the mouth once or twice uh, before they start playing. And that's not a good sign because, you know, assuming they made it to the playoffs, assuming they won this game, you still have to play in Ohio State. You still have to play a Alabama. You still have to play a Florida. And that's not – that's not going to be a good good luck situation. So this loss was coming. Uh, sorry to all the listeners that we, we, uh, we made Clemson our lock of Saturday here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a bummer, but we'll get them back next week. Bobcat, you watched this game several times. You took a ton of notes. What did you see schematically, and what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so since you mentioned the first play of the game from the line of scrimmage uh, for the Fighting Irish, that, that huge 67-yard run, uh, that was a well-executed counterplay. Uh, they pulled the opposite guard, but then pulled the, the, the strong side, the running side uh, uh, tackle with a tight end in there. Uh, really confused, and, and you, could, you could tell the offensive line uh, was, was looking for the D lineman, Breezy, who was like the number one recruit last year. He's a true freshman. He got injured a little bit in the game yesterday, uh, but you could tell that they were headhunting him. And they really just owned the line of scrimmage. Uh, really from the start of that game, not so much in the third quarter, uh, but Notre Dame really just came out there and, and set the tone. Um, I thought that DJ played phenomenally. Uh, this is the first time at over 127 years of Notre Dame's existence that somebody's thrown for 400 yards on him. So I'm not too sure that Trevor Lawrence playing in that game would have, would have decided the game any differently. I think Ian Book played the game of his life. Travis Etienne, and I know you were knocking his stat line, you know, the whole year, but, you know, he's at 690 yards rushing coming into the game. He's got eight or nine touchdowns now. He's averaging 5.9 yards a carry. I was very impressed with a four and a five man rush from Notre Dame, not disguising any blitzes, just showing it, laying it all out there uh, for a young true freshman quarterback to try to call those blitzers. Very tough, very difficult. They basically forced them to throw the football. Uh, I think Etienne left the day with, you know, 1.6 a, a carry. He had that touchdown late in the game, uh, but his longest run of the night was, was 13 yards. It's a non-explosive play for all y'all keeping track of Nick Sabanisms. Uh, but he had that fumble. It's like Travis Etienne forgot how to play football. On the pitch, he just dro he dropped it. And then normally he's very good catching passes out of the backfield. He dropped a few passes uh, last night. Was just underwhelmed by, by Clemson. I think they came out and they played, you know, a little flat-footed. Uh, and I know that they were missing some defensive starters, uh, some defensive linemen and a linebacker yesterday. But I really don't think that that does much of a difference. I think we really need to give credit where credit is due uh, because Notre Dame is not going to disguise blitzes like, like a Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State will, where they'll disguise a blitz, they'll bring up a DB, and then they'll drop that DB back in, in bracket zone or bracket man, 22-man. Uh, but from a schematic perspective, I think Notre Dame just said, man on man, we're going to, to, to beat you at the point of attack. And they did. And outside of the third quarter where Notre Dame really had nothing going, you know, he, the weirdest stat of the day is Notre Dame had 519 total yards. It's pr pretty, pretty balanced, 310 through the air, 209 rushing yards. Clemson had 473 total yards, 439 through the air, and 34 rushing yards. 34 rushing yards. You're not going to beat a balanced team, a good balanced team. I would put Notre Dame in the category of, of Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, that kind of that kind of category. Also, I put Clemson that's a, in there now. That's a good comparison. Uh, yeah, that, would, that's would, a fair point. Yeah, and I would put Clemson in that category, but historically they have been great. So they're just a step above still in my mind. But after last night, I think that you just have to look at the tape and you have to say, hey, these are long-term cracks here at the foundation. DJ is going to be a fantastic quarterback. But maybe, just maybe, Travis Etienne needs some help out of the backfield. Maybe you do need to go to that Georgia, that Ohio State, that Alabama, that LSU running back by 
excuse me, running back by committee. I, you know, when, because if, if Najee Harris isn't getting the ball moving or Sony Michelle didn't get the ball moving, there's always Brian Robinson or somebody behind him to pick up Nick that Chubb. slack and get it. Yeah. And to get them motivated to run the football, then it, you know, in baseball, you're taught hitting is contagious. Smiling is contagious. Yawning is contagious. Big explosive plays are contagious. Well, and, and, think, and to that point, I think this offensive line, though, I mean, it was getting manhandled at the point of attack. With a four-man rush. Yeah. A four-man rush. If you look – if you watch the over the second overtime, you know, where they were, they, were, they were dialing up some blitzes, don't look at that as, like, your whole body of work for Notre Dame. After about the first, I'd say, four or five possessions from Clemson, they stopped really bringing six, seven men in the box. They, they started, you know, doing four-man rushes, and then they were backing everybody out into man or zone coverage, kind of like a hybrid look. And they were really telling DJ, throw the football, young boy, because you're not going to run it. Uh, but you're right. That offensive line is kind of sketchy. I think they will come to. They will develop. Uh, maybe not this year, but, but next year. I'm not, I'm not ready to write off Clemson. However, I will say that with Notre Dame winning last night, should Clemson beat them in the ACC championship game? Because I, I think those are your two teams from the ACC. I think both those teams get in over, say, Florida, Texas A&M, not Georgia because they're two lost now, but over your two SEC teams that you might have gotten in before. Uh, I think Notre Dame, just because of the brand, the, the loyalty of the brand, the name, I think we're looking like we're probably going to get two ACC schools unless Notre Dame beats Clemson again, which they very well might. Um, but it's, it's not looking good uh, if you're a, an Aggies fan or a Florida fan. Uh, I don't know about Florida. Well, that's our next game. Well, we'll yeah, let's get, let's get right into it. Uh, Florida, after being down 14 nothing to Georgia, quick – uh, they steamroll them, uh, winning the game, covering the money line. Uh, a nice little money line we all gave out. That was a big play for us yesterday. Um, so at least we gave you a plus 120 winner. Uh, you know, I, why, I watched this entire game. Uh, I know you were out uh, getting your green thumb activated, doing the Lord's work. Um, I, I thought – I thought it took a, mo a drive or two to get for Florida to get in there. But, wow, Kyle Trask in that offensive line, they, he got plenty of time. He was able to pick apart that, that defense. I mean, a wheel route, I mean, it's, it, it, it provided you have the great amount of talent that Florida does, it can be really uh, dangerous. It's even more so, it's deadly if your corners just bite on it every single time. And it happens to them 12 times. And, you know, it, it, a lot of guys open. They were just crossing the field up. Reminded me a lot of the Alabama game. Reminded me a lot of, okay, we figured out the protection scheme. Now our quarterback's just going to pick you apart, and then you're going to start playing the pass, so now we can start running the ball. And it's it, it's like Alabama game all over again. Uh, Bobcat, what, what was your thought on this game? Here's your crazy stat of the day from the Florida-Georgia game. Florida had five receivers 
that averaged over 20 yards a catch yesterday. Over 20 yards a catch yesterday, five. They had four of those five receivers catch a touchdown pass apiece, okay? That right there is distribution of the football at a level that uh, we should all just sit back and absolutely respect. Like, I think Kyle Trask had his Heisman moment yesterday. I didn't get to watch it live. I did, did watch the, uh, the replay without any breaks or anything, so that was awesome. Um, that's going to be try- one hell of a game when they play Alabama. That was going to be one that, hell yeah, of a game. Right. I, I think that if you're a, a Bulldogs fan, you're, you're kind of in the same boat as our friends up in Michigan with Jim Harbaugh where you have a tough decision to make where, yes, Stetson Bennett had a separated shoulder and he came out of the game. But when you're playing Dewan Mathis, who goes 4 bro, of 13. Bro, did you I, – I, so Dewan is a uh, Cast Tech guy, and, and I love Dewan Mathis. But did, did you see that, that uh, tweet that uh, our friends at That SEC Podcast put out where he's warming up and he just nails a dude yes, <laughs> in the face? His first incompletion of the game, yes. And I will also say – uh, what happened yesterday to, to Rosemary Jack Saint, uh, and get it right, that's two last names that's hyphenated. That, um, that was, that was, oh, that I was think, sick. I think that was, I think that was, uh, you know, a, a very, very brutal hit. I also, you know, have lost a ton of respect, what little respect I had left for CBS when they showed the pylon cam of that one. Oh. Uh, I just happened, just happened to be taking a break from, from planting trees in my mother's backyard to to watch the tv in in the in the outdoor kitchen area um and i was i saw the pylon cam and you know hey look you weren't gonna make that tackle anyway and don't for the i hate when people tackle like that you know you go back to the Jalen waddle hit you know from behind you know you go years ago when when chubb broke his leg at tennessee um wasn't it nick chubb that did that the, the gruesome break but uh you look at stuff like that and you're like i hate hits like that so i i you know our thoughts and prayers go out to to rosemary jack saint uh i mean who he's really stepped up the past couple of weeks for an immature pickens um and, and as we know you know george pickens has just been a complete dud this year it's another thing we were terribly wrong on in the preseason pod uh but you have to be frustrated as a bulldogs fan because Kirby Smart, I don't know if he lacks confidence. I don't know if, you know, and I, I will say that I was talking to a friend of mine, and I'm not going to name drop because I don't want you guys to, to find him on Twitter. Uh, but we were talking about how Paul Tyson, the grandson of Paul Bear Bryant, is he, he's at Alabama. He's like fourth or third on the depth chart for quarterback, Paul Tyson. Um, and we, we talk about how Stetson Bennett's family, you know, they, they're huge endowment donors. A lot of those donation checks have come after he transferred back to Georgia. And, and we spoke about, well, you know, everybody at Alabama said Paul Tyson is going to be the dude because he's, he's Paul Bear Bryant's grandson. But, you know, Nick Saban has the bigger cock. And he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm bigger than you, Paul Bear Bryant. I am better than you, and, you, you know, your name's not going to hold any weight here in my program because we're going to win national championships. 
And I, I do think, and there's rumors that JT Daniels' family uh, has gotten really upset with, with Kirby Smart. And I, I think there are some personality conflicts there where I think rumor has it, and this is a legend, don't take this as gospel, where the Daniels family came to Kirby and said that Stetson Bennett is only starting because of his family's background and, and ties to being a booster at, at the University of Georgia. Um, and you can believe it with a stat line like Stetson's had all year. You know, he's five foot seven and a quarter. Um, he hits the back of offensive linemen helmets. He's not, you know, if, if you've got JT Daniels for two to three years, uh, you need to play him now and you need to develop him because you just sold your soul to, to these recruits and your hat. You're showing another Justin Fields moment. And fun fact, Bulldogs fans, Justin Fields has 12 touchdowns, 11 through the air and one on the ground. He has 11 incomplete passes this year. He has no interceptions. Fun fact of the day, you should be pissed off. You're now a two-loss team, and, and, and quite frankly, you have every right to be upset because you, you deserve better quarterback play. Your defense is electric. I do think that with LeCount out, um, even with LeCount playing yesterday, if he were to play, uh, I still think uh, Florida picks you apart. Florida really took their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter. They had a few times they went down the field and they kind of just like, you know, they started running the football a lot. Um, so I, I really think you got lucky they didn't hang a 50 burger on you. Uh, and you got lucky that you scored an, another seven at the end of the game. So that, that could have escalated pretty quickly. Uh, but, but, you know, they, they scored three more points than Alabama did on that defense. And I think that's, that's LeCount. LeCount's probably worth three points. But, man, Florida-Alabama coming up on December 12th in Atlanta, that is going to be one hell of a ball game. Uh, but I was really disappointed in, in Georgia's defensive adjustments after the half. It was really non-existent because uh, UF picked up steam a lot earlier than Alabama did. They picked up steam in the second quarter. Uh, and normally, once you pick up steam, you make adjustments. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm starting to question if Kirby Smart is really the man for, for the Bulldogs to get to the promised land. Two quick takes before we move on to our uh, around-the-country part. You know, I man, I really thought that um, that over was something that we all didn't we all didn't see, and it was it was just staring us in the face. That over was easy to hit. So, you know, I eh, you know, it's just like the same principle in Clemson Notre Dame. You see, oh, it's fifty two. Well, that game's not going to go. 52 it's a you know Clemson's going to get their points and Notre Dame is going to score some points so you're going to hit 52 same principle here and I got one step before we head to a break Mark Richt through 52 games I believe or 62 games something like that uh two games better than Kirby Smart through the same period so I think the Dogs fans need to have a real come-to-Jesus moment on whether Kirby's going to be their guy or not. I know he wins the recruiting battle every year, but uh, something to think about. We're going to come back right after this short break, and we're going to go around the country right after this. 
What's going on? It's Matt Bernier from the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. Be sure to join us every Monday, occasionally Tuesdays, but for the most part, every Monday. However you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's YouTube, you name it, you can find it a million different places, including InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It's the Matt Bernier Show. Anything and everything to do with the world of horse racing. All right, we are back around the country. A lot of other games besides Clemson, Notre Dame, and Florida, Georgia happened, and uh, a lot of hot takes. Bobcat, we'll start with you. Uh, what, what's some of the first things that come to mind off yesterday? First thing that comes to mind for me is Texas A&M is a legit team. They are evolving before your eyes. Remember, they are the only team to, to really hold Florida to, to under 40 points. They beat them 41-38. I know that that was a home game for Texas A&M, but during the COVID pandemic, there's no such thing as a true road game or a true home field advantage. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Kellen Mond yesterday. He went 16-26, 224 through the air with four touchdowns. Four touchdowns, no interceptions yesterday. Really love Spiller. Spiller's really getting the job done. You know, he rushed for another 130 yesterday. 7.3 a carry for this dude. He had a long run of 52 yards. No touchdowns, though. Uh, I'd like to see him get in the end zone a little bit more. Remember, this is the same South Carolina team uh, that gave Auburn all the trouble in the world. So the South Carolina team does know how to play football. Uh, but they won yesterday 48-3. to Watch out, world. I do think Texas A&M is right there with Florida. They're right there with Notre Dame. They're just below Clemson threshold. I think they're a legit contender for a four spot if chaos were to ensue. Granted, they still have to travel uh, to Tennessee next week. Tennessee is, you know, having a, having a rough stretch of four games here. Uh, but then right after that, they've got Ole Miss, LSU, and then Auburn. So they've got a tough, you know, four-game stretch here. Uh, but if they can win out, man, I really like their chances. I think that they should be looked at heavily. Uh, that's a that's a fair point. I think the Aggies are making their case, and I I did not expect a forty eight to three just bludgeoning. Uh, I'm gonna go back to Friday night, BYU Boise on the blue stuff. Uh, Boise just mollywopped them fifty one seventeen. Now I I'm I'm struggling with this because uh, BYU was on my card. They were a big play for me. The line movement. Uh, some of the injuries coming into the game for Boise, missing their their starting wide out, missing their stud defensive end, missing a lot of pieces. And I thought it set up perfect for BYU, uh, especially being the team that's already played seven games coming into that, whereas Boise's only played two against very subpar competition. But uh, I tell you, man, I – I think BYU is very legitimate. They can run the ball effectively. They can pass, obviously, with Zach Wilson in there. And that defense is – I'm not – it's good. It's adequate for what they need it to be. Uh, they're playing nobodies. I think yesterday was the first time – outside. I think Houston might have a winning record, but outside of the Houston game, they haven't played anybody with anywhere near a winning record. BYU is going to be a very interesting team, and I don't think this is indicative of what Boise is because Jack Sears gets injured first drive, and they're on their third-string quarterback. 
And he actually acquitted himself okay. I mean, he looked okay, but very ill-prepared. Uh, Hank Bachenmeyer, we don't know where he's at. He's probably hanging out with his cheerleader uh, girlfriend somewhere in Boise. Don't know what's going on. Boise's going to come back, but this was their shot, and they missed. And so it's on to next year. But BYU, stay tuned to them. Uh, any thoughts, Bobcat, on other games? I just want to mention, guys, on our preview, and this wasn't a locker key of the week, but I, I did take BYU 51 to 31. Uh, they ended up winning 52 to 17. Um, and, or was it 51 17? And I took them 52 31. Either, yeah, neither here nor there, the but I, I, took, I took them big. Um, and, and I hope you guys played it just based off of our preview. I think we all thought that, that uh, BYU would win. I was very confident that BYU would blow them out. I'll give you another team that's right there with BYU competing for, you know, I, I don't like to say outside of the power five because I really think we should expand the playoff to eight teams. But let me, get, let me talk to you about the Cincinnati Bearcats. The Cincinnati Bearcats have the best defense in all of college football right now statistically. And I know that they're not playing murderer's row week after week. I got that. But when you're able to hold teams like Memphis – SMU and Houston in consecutive weeks, scoreless in the second half. And I told Stu yesterday in a text message, I was like, hey, look, you know, Houston's got 10 points at halftime. They're not going to score anymore, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. 282 total yards is what they gave up. 189 through the air, 93 on the ground. On the other hand, Cincinnati put – 510 yards on Houston yesterday. The time of possession is, is kind of even, 27 minutes, 32 minutes. You know, it, it's, it's kind of even there. Desmond Ritter not really showing that he's a prolific passer. He's 17 to 27 yesterday, 162 through the air, one touchdown, one interception. But him and Jared Dokes, over 100 yards rushing, rushing yesterday. Dokes with 184 yards, 11 and a half a carry with a touchdown, 72-yard just absolute burst of freaking lightning. Uh, and then Desmond Ritter yesterday, 12 carries, 103 yards, 8.6 a carry. I mean, this Cincinnati Bearcats team defensively can probably go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, at least for a half of football, with all of your big-name top four college teams. You know, rotate them in Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, or Florida, or whoever you've got in your top four. I think, I think we would be silly to not include Cincinnati and BYU with Zach Wilson with the, the caliber of, of year that he's had. Watch out for Cincinnati Bearcats, man. They are, they're fun to watch, and defensively, they just suffocate you. I'm going to roll up the entire Pac-12 with this sentiment. It's pretty bad. Uh, that's all. Uh, I don't think there's a good team in there. Uh, just some real, I mean, just some really crazy stuff going on over there. USC was in the red zone on almost every single drive. It felt like yet they would have a fumble or they'd miss a field goal or bad play calling. Clay Helton is not the guy for that job. It, but they come back and they get a, a great throw, great catch by Keaton Slavis to his tight end. And they end up winning by a point. But, man, this is not – this Pac-12, even watching Stanford-Oregon, oh, like Stanford missed four field goal kicks. Four. Four field goal kicks. And they were not like, you know, 50-yarders. They, they were – 
makeable. Uh, Oregon didn't look impressive to me. Uh, USC didn't. Colorado, oh, UCLA, oh, um, yeah. I'm. I think I'm just not going to pay attention to the Pac-12. I, I think I'm done with it. I told you not to not to bet on them. The Pac-12. I, yeah, I I liked Oregon State. That was a line movement play, and I liked USC uh, from from Chris's advice. Uh, and and knowing what Arizona State had lost, I thought that was an interesting play. Because Keaton Slavis can throw the ball, but I, I didn't count on, you know, uh, a 20% red, uh, red zone situation. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be out on it. Uh, I know a lot of people are probably expecting me to go in on Michigan – I'm going to save that for uh, – and Michigan State, for that matter. I'm going to save that for uh, Sean Belisian. Bobcat, do you have any takes on the Big Ten? I know you got one. I got, I got two takes on the Big Ten, actually. Uh, first things first, with, with Michigan and, and Indiana yesterday, uh, I'm not going to repeat the exact quote that I told you about uh, Penix throwing the football. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I should hope He that. has the – yeah, he has the ugliest throwing motion that I've ever seen. Uh, truly, uh, they threw the, the the ball fifty times uh, yesterday. He was thirty of fifty for three hundred forty-two yards through the air with three touchdowns. He didn't turn the ball over at all. Uh, and I had told you guys in the preview game that Indiana is the best in the country at capitalizing uh, with points after turnovers. Uh, they caused two interceptions uh, yesterday for Joe Milton. I thought they did a really good job. I think that uh, Stu was right uh, on his pick with Indiana. Indiana is going to be a real threat to teams in the Big in the Big Ten. Uh, so don't overlook your Hoosiers. I think they made a movie after y'all a while ago, way back. I can't remember the title of that movie, but don't sleep on the Hoosiers. I think that was basketball, but this is football. Yeah, uh, it's, and, it's one of the greatest sports movies ever yeah, made. Hoosiers yeah, I, with know, Gene Hackman, yeah. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should probably go watch it on Hulu or, or Amazon. But, yeah, man, super proud of the Hoosiers. I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to leave it for Sean and you to discuss uh, so your, all your Detroit listeners can, can get, their, get their rocks off. But, seriously, it's time <laughs> to fire Jim Harbaugh. It's time to fire Jim Harbaugh. I think we can all agree, all you Walmart Wolverines out there, which I just learned that term, I love it. It's a term of endearment. Don't take it offensively. But all you Walmart Wolverines with your ACT and SAT scores too low to get into Michigan, just go ahead and start buying Michigan State gear because uh, you can brag for the rest of the year. Uh, second take on the Big Ten uh, is got to be Talia Tungavailoa. Uh, I called this before the year even started. Have a ton of respect for what Mike, Mike Loxley is able to do offensively as a, as a football coach. I know that you and I have some questions about his clock management, his game management, and all that good stuff. But offensive coordinator-wise, he's kind of like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian where he's going to make you pay. He's going to put the ball where you're not. Uh, and just through the first three games, right, when, you know, and we can look at the Northwestern game, and I told you I think Northwestern has a legit defense and the way that they were just brutally beating up Michigan, or, excuse me, Maryland's offensive line in that game. Talia was thrown off of his back foot. He was thrown on the run, which he doesn't do very well at. He's essentially well, a true freshman. No, I, I, think, I think it's about time to also say, if we look back and, you know, they beat up a, 
so-so Minnesota team that's okay. They're not good, but they're okay. I think we can we can definitively say that now. Um, but and and they what, beat up a Penn State team that their season ended last week, and I I didn't see any try. Sean Clifford looked awful. But going back to that first game, Northwestern is for we real. They backed it up against Iowa, and they backed it up again against Nebraska. Without yeah. with and and Nebraska looks to be like a very uh, a competent team. They're just not, you know, uh, you're not getting Tom Osborne recruits. Lawrence Phillips and Tommy Armstrong aren't walking through the door anymore. You know what I right. mean? Right. And and I so Talia Tungavaloa, that's the little brother of Tua Tungavaloa, he transferred from Alabama to follow his friends call him Leah. Yes, everybody calls him Leah, uh, which I know is a girl's name, but it's L I A. Uh, so in the, with the Northwestern game in his stats, his passer rating is 157.4, right? He's got 770 yards through the air, six touchdowns to four interceptions. His QBR is, is 88.9. That's with the Northwestern game uh, where they beat the absolute piss out of him, 43-3. to three. If you take away that uh, first game, Northwestern game, for, for Leah Tungvaloa, his stat line, his passer rating is 208.4, uh, and, and his QBR – is hovering right around 91, I believe. Um, but, and I have to do the math on that. I'll do the math and, and get y'all the correct one. But his his rating is around 208.4, which is insane. It's insane. He's bawling out of his mind. I think Minnesota's fraudulent. We, we know Penn State is fraudulent. Uh, I mean, it's time for James Franklin to go back to Vanderbilt now. I would say that, you, you know, he probably would have a better record at Vanderbilt uh, instead of Penn State. Uh, but, yeah, those are my two things for the Big Ten. Fire Harbaugh and watch out for Talia Tungavailoa, uh, especially as they welcome Ohio State this weekend. I do think if that – this is a preview for our, our podcast on Wednesday, but I, and I'll sit on it, wait till the line comes out. But if that line is Ohio State given more than 19, 20 points, I'm going to play that because I don't know – if they're front seven, because they don't have a Bosa, they don't have a Chase Young, they haven't rushed the passer very well. It's kind of like Alabama's front seven. But they do play defensively very well on the back end, unlike Alabama. I do think that Tulia Tungavailoa can get stuff moving. Uh, so I'm very confident in that, and I'll let you guys know on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I think Maryland I, – I can't imagine that line being over 20. Um, but it shouldn't that's, be. It really shouldn't be, but it, it, it'll be real interesting to watch that. And I agree. I mean, I was wrong on Maryland. I thought they were going to take some time. They were an interesting team. We still have a thing coming up later uh, later this month, early December, uh, you know, up in College Park. Might have a bottle on that. But, uh, you know, I love the fact that they have Jake Funk, as they're running back, some white kid that just doesn't looks out of place, but yet he's averaging five yards a carry. And when Maryland gets that running game going, they're a very dangerous team. And Rakeem Jarrett, he is every bit of the five stars that that he was. He is uh, as, he is as advertised. Yes, very and much if so. You, if you guys recall, I before the Northwestern game because I was really high on Maryland. I said. I said Leah was going to be the starter because Mike Loxley wouldn't name it. You know, he's taking one from Nick Saban's playbook. Uh, 
So quit asking, okay? Um, but him and Leah and Rakeem Jarrett in the offseason during COVID had bonded a lot. They're roommates. They're throwing the football, catching the football a lot together. Uh, and I think we're watching that develop. I think he played out of his mind yesterday. Uh, he had 144 yards on five catches. That's good for 28 yards a, a, a catch. He had two touchdowns through the air. Uh, and I think, I think he is, is becoming their go-to playmaker. Uh, and then also Funk, man, he's so much fun to watch. He's so explosive, and you don't even expect it by looking at him. Yeah, it's a fun team. Uh, speaking of fun, between now and our next episode, we've got six matching games. This is all part of, I think we have like 14 straight days of football, football game being played on. So uh, enjoy it while it's here. Uh, before we get to Feast Week, Feast Week's always the best week of the year. Uh, Maction Tuesday, going to give a few, no lines are out yet, no lines, so it's tough to say. However, Kent State over Bowling Green, Bowling Green's atrocious. Uh, If that line's under 21, jump on it. Uh, I think it might open up at 19 or 20. If you can get it under 21, jump on it. Same thing with Ohio over Akron. Ohio, Western Michigan dis- dismantled Akron, and I think Ohio is actually just as good, if not better, of a team than Western Michigan. So give me the Bobcats. I know you like that. Uh, I love the Bobcats. Maybe the the most interesting game of the week, Miami-Ohio travels to Buffalo. Buffalo, the preseason MAC favorite. Miami-Ohio is a uh, Blaine Gabbert's brother concussion last week don't know his status they bring in the backup aj meyer he comes in and he's fantastic he's he he did not look like he was a backup quarterback he he really moved the ball they had a good game plan against a good ball state team however when you're giving up 140 150 yards on the ground and you got jared patterson who very easily gets 100 yards in the first half uh, I, I think there's an issue there. And I think Buffalo, they, you know, worked out some kinks week one against Northern Illinois. They really shut them down. Northern Illinois got some late touchdowns against uh, the second team. But I, I like Buffalo a lot. Uh, I would play that game up to 10. I think Buffalo wins this by more than 10 or under 10. If, you, if I'm getting more than 10, I, I, I'd look at Miami, Ohio, where it's a no play. Eastern Michigan Ball State, I think it's a it's a watch game. Both these teams, I, I didn't think Eastern Michigan was going to be anything. Paul Richardson comes in, filling out a lot of new pieces. Look at the spread on that game. Uh, Chris Creighton is really good against the spread. He's very good against the spread. He covers a ton. Look at the spread. If it's under six, uh, I would I would stay away from it. Uh, and if it's over six, I'd look at Eastern Michigan as a play. Toledo, Western Michigan, too close to call. I, I, I think we still don't know what Western is. Uh, they didn't really show much. Akron's defense is horrible. They were getting the edge and sealing it on a consistent basis. I don't know that you do that against Toledo. However, I did not like Toledo's offense week one. I think that's a sit-and-watch game. 
my game on Wednesday, though, is Central Michigan over the Huskies. Uh, Central Michigan has a lot of speed. They got a lot of guys from Florida and down south on this team, and they they had a lot of speed. They could get to the edges. They they do a lot of fun things. I think their defense is it's okay, but you know, I I'll lean with Central Michigan. If if it's less than uh, if it's less than five, I'll lean with Central Michigan. Um, I, I'm interested to see what the line is on that game. And as far as overs go, uh, I think Akron, Ohio, um, Toledo, Western Michigan, and Central Michigan, Northern Illinois are certainly uh, – you got to look at them for the overs. Expecting 60-point games there, that it's hard to predict when you don't have a number. So that's Maction. Uh, good luck to everyone. Thanks, Bobcat, for joining in. How's how's Fairhope treating you? Also, yeah, I gotta 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 drop a knowledge bomb. Uh, so, Stucast Sports, it's looking like we're going to be reporting live, live. Well, we're not not gonna do a podcast live, but I'll be live on the scene if all things work out and all the stars line. I'll be live on the scene the Saturday after Thanksgiving in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the Iron Bowl. And this is a big game, folks. This is the this is for all the marbles, okay? Because it, it's not the same Saturday you've got, you know, your Ohio State-Michigan game. Really, the only rivalry game you got that weekend is the Iron Bowl. Uh, so so be, be looking out for that. Also, I might screw around and do a giveaway. You watch it on Stu's uh, Twitter feed might do a giveaway for the Ohio Bobcats because Bobcat Nation stand up if you want some cool swag. Also, 404 area code for all my Atlanta boys, the 404 swag gear that the, that the Yellow Jackets have at Georgia Tech might do a giveaway there. Stay tuned. Big stuff's coming. All right. I love it. Uh, I, I might need to get some of that 404 swag, but uh, we'll have you on. We'll be back uh, previewing with Chris Van Dyne of North Coast Sports. Uh, that podcast will drop Thursday morning. Bobcat, you have a good week. Thanks for coming on. And right after a short break, we're going to get to Sean Belizean, uh and talk some Lions, talk some Sparty, talk some Wolverines, and I don't know, probably some hockey too because we're weirdos like that. Later, Bobcat. Thanks for coming on, man. Roll Tide, brother. Give Sean my love and uh, get him to talk about firing Harbaugh for me. <laughs> Roll Tide. All right. Always a pleasure to be joined by this guy. You can catch him on WJR 760 every Sunday covering Lions football. Somebody's got to do it. God bless him. <laughs> uh, my good friend, Sean Belizean. Sean, Always a pleasure, my man. Hey, Al, how are you? Yeah, it it is uh it 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 it's soul sucking. There's I I have no other way to say that. It, it's a soul sucking uh, thing. And uh, yesterday was, you know, it was really odd because you know I I know you watch a, a lot of football over the weekend and some Big Ten football. I think uh, the similarities in all three games were 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 really glaring. You, you kind of, and when I say all three games, I mean the Lions. I say Michigan State, and I say Michigan. You kind of knew early on how that game was going to go. I think, in particular, Michigan State and and the Lions yesterday. You knew 
watching the first drive, oh my gosh, this is going to get ugly. And they didn't let us down. <laughs> At least we can say that. They didn't let us down. You, you get knew. to the cider mill early. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, the drives that the Vikings made yesterday were, were disgusting. It was, it was, it was like pac 12 football. Really? It, it really, it was, it was, it was pac 12 football. The fact that you know, teams were just going down with relative ease, and and that's what the Vikings were doing yesterday. It was, uh, it, it's so disheartening at this juncture of the Matt Patricia regime. Um, and and we were talking about it off the air. There is zero evidence to believe that they're going to get this turned around, and I think that is the most frustrating aspect of it all. Um, that this is what it is, and the Lions are are likely going to be facing uh, yet another uh, regime change and, you know, everything that comes with that. So in, in that regard, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, is the regime change going to happen, though? I mean, we've already seen that they've kind of laid down the foundation of, well, you know, COVID and 2020. I mean, Alex Trebek died yesterday, uh, rest in peace. But, like, if that happens, you got to keep us on. I mean, we had no shot this year. Like, everything's going to hell. I feel like that's going to be the sentiment that they say to Martha and uh, Sheila Ford. And it's just going to be kind of like thumbs up. Yeah, sounds good to me. We're going to go back to watching, I don't know. I don't know what they do. Probably watch like seagulls fly around all day. I, I don't know. That's what in my mind, that's what they do. That's a good question. I, I, I really don't know. You know, all, all we can do is right now, you know, look at, you know, are they in it? it? You know, have they improved? You know, are they playing meaningful football games in December? Um, and, and right now it looks like they're not going to be. I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know how it is in the National Football League. I, I think you should win six games on accident. I mean, that's, that's just the way the league is today. And yeah. if, if somehow, some way they get to six and 10, which I, I Al, listen, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they got to six and 10. I'm not being funny. I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't follow up the three and five with another three and five. If, if you try to spit shine that that's on you. And I, I think a lot of fans are going to be really agitated at that because you know, then you have two bookends of six and 10 and that middle disaster that was last year of three, 12 and one. I don't know how you justify that, but uh, it does remain to be seen. No doubt about it. I want to get your take on this. Cause this uh, for Lions fans, it was a big bone of contention. I saw on the, the Twitter. Um, so a, uh, another sports uh, radio guy personality, you may know Mike Valeni couple weeks ago bashed the video of Lions fans rejoicing after after that win I forget who they even beat now (laughs) it feels like a a century ago uh the Falcons game right and he kind of was like what what are y'all doing uh and where do you fall on that line of should we be should you ever root for your team to lose so if it means a higher probability that bad characters get taken out, that we get we roll the dice, we spin the wheel one more time, or is it, hey, we won a game, it's about winning. Is there a fine line? Is it cut and dry for you? 
Yeah, it is. It's very cut and dry for me. Um, I can never, ever, ever root for my team to lose. I can't do it. I, I'm, it it's physically impossible for me. Now, do I know in the back of my head it would be in the best interest of this team to lose this game? Of course I do. Of course I do. But if you win a game in dramatic fashion, yeah, I, let me give you an example. Um, years ago when my son was little, do you remember the, the game against the Browns where they scored on the last play of the game? Oh, yeah, it, where, where Matt led them down the field. And, you got it. You got it. You got it. Yeah. I, look, the game meant nothing. Absolutely zero zilch. It was, it was two of the worst teams in the league getting together on a Sunday afternoon. I'll tell you what, I love that moment so much because I was at the game with my son and the crowd was going crazy, and they found a way to win the game. Like, for me, when that excitement of your team winning a game uh, is gone, then it's time for me to go watch Seagulls, as, as you were talking about. You know <laughs> you what I mean? Join Honestly, Martha in the rocking chair. It's time for me to go do something else. So in, in that regard, uh, it is very cut and dry with me. But the logical part of me, the reasonable side of me, of course, you know, it, it'd be in the best interest if, 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 if they lose some games. And, you know, to me last year, and, and this is where the whole Tua thing comes in, um, the window for this, for this era is, is closing. And, and there's about this much left right now. And I think you have to take an eye towards the future. And that's why I was one of those guys. I was like, how often do you get a chance to take that guy, the guy that potentially can be, you know, the rock star for the next 10 years and be the face of your franchise? How often are you in that position? And I'm not sure the Lions are going to find themselves in that position this year, as frustrating as this year is, because as we said, they might mess around and go three and five down the stretch and finish six and 10. Are they going to find themselves in a position where they could grab potentially that, that, quarterback of the future and it's not an indictment against Matthew Stafford I think what happens today is everybody applies the all or nothing that's not an indictment against Matthew Stafford that's saying look at what Kansas City did I think they were pretty smart to take a guy like Mahomes and let him marinate for a year and then you know the, the team was him his and all that I don't think that's a bad decision that was never going to happen for this Lions team though for the reason that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were fighting for their jobs. You know, I mean, they, they were, they were fighting for their jobs and they needed to see an improvement this season. And, and, and it's not going to be hard to, to improve from three twelve and one. Um, you, you could, you could make the case that, you know, maybe next year they improve on three or maybe next week they beat Washington and they, Hey, voila, we've already improved on three twelve and one. So the problem is you keep pushing the goalposts back. And this is what has ticked me off for years for the Lions and, and more in particular the Lion fan base. Al, what drives me nuts is suddenly the unacceptable is acceptable because the the goalposts have been pushed back so far. And it's frustrating to me. And it's, you know, one of the things that we've gone through up here, of course, is, is somehow, some way, looking back fondly at the Jim Caldwell era, right? And, and I say this, both things can be true and both things are true here. Jim Caldwell wasn't good enough. Jim Caldwell was better than Matt Patricia. But we go back to the beginning. Jim Caldwell still wasn't good enough. And, and so I think that's what Lion fans do here. And in that regard, it really is, it's given me really bad memories of the Matt Millen era. You know, and in, in 2007, oh, my gosh, they improved to seven and nine. Oh, isn't this great? Well, time out, time out, time out, time out. Nine and seven 
just seven years ago, we were all tired of it. And it was time for a regime change. And that's your high watermark. So that's where we're at with the franchise right now. There's so many moving parts. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's not good. And what, what's discouraging is that on paper and in the games, you see some talent. DeAndre Swift is turning into, in his limited time, he's proven, I think, so far the early returns are in and, and they signal like a guy that could be a very useful running back. He had 60 yards uh, on 12 carries yesterday. You know he can catch out of the backfield. He can create space. And on the other side of the ball, you look like you look at a Dalvin Cook. You know DeAndre Swift. If he becomes a poor man's Dalvin Cook, I mean that's a pretty good deal. Not to mention you still have Kenny Galladay. Maybe I don't know if you you got to read some uh, in between the lines on that, but. You have talent defensively. I think Deshaun Hand has really played much better this year. Uh, Okuda, we talked about a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. He's playing much better now. He's kind of got his footing, like like you said, you thought he would. Uh, there's some talent, but I, I think it goes back to credibility, like you were saying. And I don't know that I trust these guys to – to pick a, a Jolly Rancher out of a bag, let alone uh, a guy in the second, third, fourth, first round, what have you. That's the frustrating part right now. And I'll say it again, Al, the thing that drives me nuts is, is, is I love what Bob Quinn's message is. I absolutely love Bob Quinn's message. Bob Quinn, when he came on, was a guy that sang to my heart because it, it's nine and seven isn't going to be good enough. You know, uh, we, we have to aspire to more. We're better than that and things like that. And I, I think I've had that argument with Lion fans for so many years that, that it, it, it's beaten me down. And unfortunately, they just haven't been able to follow through. I mean, they, they just haven't been able to do it. The issue I have right now on the defensive side of the ball is, and this is a serious question, like, who does the opposition look at and go, ooh, we got to stay away from that guy. We got to scheme from that guy. Uh, you know, uh, is there potential with a couple of the young guys here? Sure. And you mentioned two of them that, that, that I like. And I'm hopeful, hopeful being the keen operative word, that they can get something going in, in, in the next couple of seasons. But right now, as we sit here today on November 9th, you know, who, who does an offense look at and go, ooh, that guy strikes a fear of the good Lord in, in, in our heart? And, and the answer is nobody. And, and realistically, this is a team that's struggling to put up points. If you take away that uh, Jacksonville game, they haven't scored over 30 in any, any one game. Um, by the way, that's a blasphemous cup you're drinking out of. But either way. <laughs> I was hoping for a second you were that was a Winterhawks cup, and then I could be like, "Oh, okay." No, no. I rock some Winterhawks, some uh, WHL talk. No, yeah. no. You know, I, I I think I told you my my son goes to school in Chicago at DePaul, and so we we went to a, a Hawks game, and I'm a sucker for souvenir cups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I seriously, I'm a sucker for souvenir. I have so many silly souvenir cups at home. It's uh you know, from, from some of the places that I've been. So I, I keep these souvenir cups and they're my water cups. There you go. Well, well, maybe you can take over for Stan Bowman. Cause that thing's burning to the ground. Yeah, uh, boy, it got ugly quick. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, speaking of ugly quick and you really hate to see it. 
we're going to change up gears. Uh, Michigan loses to Indiana. You just, uh, you just hate to see it. It's so tough. Just you feel for all the Michigan fans out there who are generally just so gracious in, in winning and defeat. Uh, tough times for them is I, I thought coming into this season with Jim Harbaugh not getting the contract extension, he's the only Division One coach with less than two years on his deal. Uh, you see where he started. It, it, there's that Twitter thing, you know, where where it started, how it's going, and where it started was signing with the stars and Migos are on stage and he's sleeping at Quinn Nordine's house. And how it's going is he looks like Lee Harvey Oswald and he's uh, you know, a defeated, a defeated man. Not to mention the SI.com article uh that was written that I don't know if you saw it, it was absolutely scathing. What what is your take on Michigan as it stands now as a program? And furthermore, what where's Har is Harbaugh gonna see next season? Um my my take on Michigan hasn't changed. And um it's funny because I've I've talked to a lot of people that uh in the last 10, 15 years have been mad at me. Uh because I'm sorry, I've I've been one of those people, and Al, you've probably heard me say it. Um, they've been also ran for a long time now. It's a long time now. And and ten years ago, if you wanted to say it was a it was a bad spell for Michigan, okay, you could say that. You know, I didn't know for sure that this was going to continue. Um, so if you wanted to say that, you could say that. You can't say that anymore. They they've been an also ran for a decade and a half, and and more often than not, not close. Uh, to the tippy top, even in their division, let alone the conference alone. So um, that's, that's been my take on Michigan and, and, and they continue to do it each and every year. Now that doesn't mean that they aren't going to mix in the odd year where, you know, they, they come really close. I think 2016 is, is a good example. 2016, they, you know, they came really close. 2011 was, was, a, was a pretty darn good year. That's when, you know, Brady Hoke was going to come in and take over the Big Ten and all of that stuff. But it, it's been a lot of talk, and, and it hasn't been any, any follow-through. I mean, really, it hasn't been any follow-through. And Jim Harbaugh is just a higher level up, obviously, from Rich Rod and from Brady Hoke. And Jim Harbaugh is going to get you good results, uh, I, I, I don't believe that Jim Harbaugh is going to get you great results. I, I just don't. And uh, I'm with you. Uh, the last couple weeks, I think after the Michigan State loss, it was shocking to see Jim Harbaugh's demeanor. And then um, last week or, or two days ago, as it were, um, the, the defiance and the, the we're really close and I love everything that's going on. It's you know, it made you raise your eyebrow a little bit. Like, are you watching the same stuff that we're seeing? I think you have to look at it overall in fairness to Coach Harbaugh. You have to look at it overall and say, he's done a good job. Overall, he's done a good job. He wasn't brought in to do a good job. He's not being paid to do a good job. And so that is where I, I think all of the, the angst is going to come from. You know, it, and it's funny because I think – it's weird being it, we're Spartan guys. Uh, and I think the weird thing is, is that most Spartans 
probably generally share the same opinion that Michigan, why, why is it we have a higher opinion of what Michigan should be than I feel like the Michigan fan base? Because Michigan, in my mind, I, you know, I grew up around the 97 team, you know, Tyrone Wheatley, Tim Biaka Batuka, those early 90s teams, which were really talented. Um, you know, we can even harken back to Bo a little bit. Some of those Bo teams were good, even though he's vastly overrated. Uh, but Michigan should always be in that conversation as winning the Big Ten, possibly getting to the playoff. But I, it's almost like they've regressed and said, well, you know, nine wins is great. Nine wins is great. Uh, and, and technically, that's true. If, if I'm a Michigan State fan and you say, hey, nine wins for Michigan State, Oh boy! Like we're high fiving, we're smoking meats at at Mike's house, and uh, we're going wild on some uh, pulled pork and toasting with champagne and beers. Yeah, it is amazing, Al. You know the one thing that that I I have found hysterical, especially when Michigan State had uh, their success going back now a few years. You know, the the sudden downplaying of of winning the Big Ten championship is is just I'm sorry I find it hysterical. You know everything has to start in your conference, and I always say Bo's rolling in his grave when when I hear people try to downplay winning the Big Ten conference, and their tune will change when they find a way to big win the Big Ten again. Make no mistake about that. It's a coping mechanism. You're not fooling anybody. I, I've said that to. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Michigan fans legitimately. I really have. Um, all at, all at Walmart. You said, that. <laughs> but no, I mean, listen, all, all, listen, all jokes aside, uh, uh, you know, that that's the thing that, that kills me. And, and they still, they still cling to this thing. Like they're yet at the same time, they still cling to this thing. Like, well, because we're Michigan, we, we can roll up 11 and one and we still might be able to get in the playoff. And, and, and you just shake your head. I, you, you know, it's, 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 that's over. And, and I think it, that's the difficult part for people in these um, areas of country to, to, to come to grips with is, you know, the, the, the era of the big two and the little eight is so done. It's, it's, it's over. College football is a different world now. You're never, ever going to see that again. You might see it in a year. You might see it in the year where clearly Michigan and Ohio State are the two best teams in the conference, uh, but it, it's going to be few and far between. It's not going to be that year after year after year that I grew up with in the late 70s and going into the 80s and everything. College football is a far different place now, and Michigan has to find its place. And, and right now, I, I, I say it again, and I'm not saying this to take a shot. It's a factual statement. Um, Look, the bottom line is this. They're, they're an also-ran, and they've been an also-ran for over 15 years now. Say hello to Penn State. Say yeah. hello to Wisconsin. Although both those teams have made it to Indianapolis. So I yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, my last question with Michigan in regards to them, and you, I, I want to ask you, you said big two, little eight, and I grew up in that time too, so I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's those two teams. And, and when Penn State came in in 94, they got added into the conversation. Barry Alvarez started turning Wisconsin, so they got added into the conversation. But is it now the big one, some good, some good threes or fours, and then you get 
a once a decade good team to pop out of Indiana or East Lansing or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not diminishing what Mark D'Antonio did at Michigan sure. State, but you can kind of see the writing on the wall and there's going to be a lot of fluctuation underneath Ohio State. They're just built different. They, yeah. They're built like a Southeastern Conference team. And, and I know that's blasphemy coming from the Midwest, but it is what it is. It, do you foresee – is a coaching change going to propel Michigan to the next level, or is this the new normal? I think it's the new normal. I really do. I, I, I hate to say it, and, and there's no harm in saying it's Ohio State and everybody else, because it is. It has been for a long time, and I think you did a really good job of, of, of kind of hammering it down. You know, you might get a 2013 Spartans, you know, that, that has an unbelievable year. I mean, really – a season for the ages in 2013, you might get a team like the 2015 Spartans that get a couple breaks to go their way along the way, make no mistake about it, but you never apologize for a win. You never apologize uh, for, for winning a conference. Uh, you, you might get that Penn state team of 2016, but more often than not, you know, it's been Ohio state, you know, maybe Kirk Ferentz, uh, you know, every, every few years, I call it the Ferentz, you know, where they pop up and have a really good year. Maybe Kirk Ferentz has one of those years. Maybe Wisconsin has one of those years, although they have to, you know, get over the hump again of, of finding a way to win the big uh, total. Well, didn't uh, you, you know, hear Graham did it in 11 and 12. You didn't hear Graham Mertz is going to win uh, five Heisman trophies. Yes, in the next he is. He, you didn't read, you didn't yeah. hear that. Jimmy Clausen, right? Is, I'll include there... you on the email chain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's the way it is right now. And, and you know, until further notice, it, it's all it's all white noise. It's all chatter. White noise probably describes Michigan State's performance this weekend. Oh. Uh, oh. So so we talk. So it, it's a real Michigan State's really weird. So uh, talk to Phil Steele, our good friend, uh, the Godfather. And before the season, he said, you know, look, Mel Tucker's up against it. Everybody who, I don't know, watches football and understands college football kind of understood, okay, Michigan State, this is a rebuilding year. They lose a game they probably should have won against Rutgers, turning the ball over seven times. The next week, they go in Ann Arbor, they beat Michigan, and then they just get steamrolled by an Iowa team that I don't I don't particularly think is great, but I don't know. Maryland looks like they could score 800 points on, uh, uh, on any given team, excluding Ohio State. But I, I'm just like looking at this and I go, I still, I still wonder, I'm still trying to talk myself into the fact that like, okay, this is a rebuilding year, but man, last week, it got me juices flowing like, Oh, now I'm thinking, okay, well maybe we can actually win more than three games. Maybe we're on this track. How, how are, how are you adjusting to, to Michigan state season so far? I, I think you, you hit the nail on top of the head, Al. It was okay. Maybe this isn't that bad. Maybe, 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 maybe just maybe they can go four and four or anything like that. Hindsight is 2020. Okay. Let, let me say this before I, I say what I'm about to say, we should have seen that coming. You know, you have an Iowa team that was home 
that was 0-2 that was due, and you had a Michigan State team coming off an emotional win that nobody, and I mean nobody, saw coming I, except Sean, those I guys lost, in the room. I lost almost a grand on that game. Yeah, I, had, I had Michigan. I was, I was reverse lining, and I, I'll be honest, I was super excited. It's the only time I've ever lost a ton of money in a, in a game or horse racing and been like, Thumbs up. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Nobody saw that coming. So you, you knew, you knew that there was going to be, that there was going to be a letdown, but you didn't, you didn't expect that. That was gross. And I'm, I'm glad that Mel was so angry after the game and talked about how unacceptable it was and uh, all of that. But you know, again, much like the Lions game, I think it bears repeating the first drive of that game was so emphatic that you sat back. I'm not joking. I was texting my son as he's watching the game in Chicago. And I said, Jack, it's a beautiful day. You might want to go do something else because you're just going to get ticked off today. And it, it got worse than, than any of us uh, expected. And um, it's a mixed bag. You know, I mean, it really is. This is such a strange year as it is, you know, could they, could they come up and bite somebody in the butt again? Well, they might, they, they, they did it to a Michigan team that, although they're kind of showing they, they aren't what we thought they would be. And I thought they would be a five and three team. Um, but can they, could they come up and bite somebody else again? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I could see him, you know, getting a, another couple of wins, but um, look, they're far, far, far away. A lot of work that Mel Tucker has to do up in East Lansing. Were you, I, I got kind of pissed when it's third quarter Rocky Lombardi is, is, He's kaput for the day, three picks, they can't move the ball. Were you upset that, hey, why aren't we seeing Peyton Thorne? We're rotating backs in every play. We're rotating wideouts. I mean, I think 30 wideouts caught a pass in the game. 30 running backs got a, got a chance, but Peyton Thorne gets late fourth quarter action. Was that a little like head scratching? Cause I, yeah, be- yeah. I, I thought either him or even Theo day, you know, what, what, what does it hurt? You know, honestly, yeah. and, and it, it looked to me like there, there was something off with Rocky as it is. Um, so, you know, whether it be his knee, whether, you know, some kind of lower extremity, it, it looked like something was off with him anyway. I mean, Mel said after the game, you know, that's, that's our quarterback. That's the guy that we're going to go with. But at that point in time, I, I, I was like, yeah, find a way to get these guys some reps. I, uh, I know – uh, a, a good friend of mine, Scott Bernstein, who covers uh, recruiting for the Oakland Press, he he kind of mentioned to me that that recruiting-wise, and I'm going to ask this because you're very involved with uh, high school football mm-hmm. in the area, it, it, that there's kind of a swing going on. That Mel Tucker, for a long time, you know, D'Antonio was kind of blocked out of the Metro Detroit area for the the Blackwell incident. But Mel Tucker's kind of made amends. He he's starting to get some kids out of Metro Detroit, which is, a, you know, historically a base for Michigan State to to kind of pull some talent out of. Are you seeing the recruiting dynamics kind of change uh, in in Michigan as as it relates to Michigan State and Michigan? Not so much yet. More they're in the conversation. I think when you start to talk about it changing is when you see the guys, you know, making that commit instead of, you know, here and there, 
instead of, you know, plucking this kid out of Belleville or that kid out of Oak Park or that kid out of West Bloomfield, you know, pulling quite a few of them. Um, you know, the, the fact that some guys are rethinking things is, 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 you know, something that's interesting. You know, there are a couple guys that have, have made it known that they're rethinking things. So I think Rayshon Benny being the big one out of that list. Yeah. You know, uh, and there's all the rumors about Andrew Anthony as well yeah. in East Lansing that, you know, a year ago, I, I thought he was going to Notre Dame. I, I, I really did. And then he ends up with Michigan and, you know, I, I, a lot was made about him, you know, posting an emoji after the Michigan-Michigan State game. And I, I talked to a couple of people privately, and they said that he's really rethinking things. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. And, by the way, while I'm on the subject, let a kid rethink things. I mean, the, the fact yeah. that grownups get so wrapped up in that. I, I don't care if he's rethinking Michigan State or Michigan or Ohio State. My gosh, this is such a big decision for a kid that – People that, that, that get wrapped up in that, Al, it drives me nuts. And number one, you're a kid. Number two, this is a decision for a lifetime. So um, I say give these kids all the time in the world to make that decision. And, and God forbid, if they have the audacity to change their mind, let them change their mind. You know what I mean? So um, it's a start. You know, the, 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 it's, it's, it's early. Um, the reports in about Mel Tucker are, are, are good and, you know, what he does and uh, on, on the, the, the recruiting trail and everything. It, it's early, so let's wait and see how it pans out in the next year. You, uh, outside, I mean, you're a college football guy mm -hmm. just like me. Uh, I wanted to ask your take on some things more nationally. Sure. Uh, first off, I, you know, I hate the Fighting Irish. I thought they were a sham. And I, like, for me, my eyeballs tell me this Clemson team is not your normal Clemson team. And I really don't – I'm going to go on a limb and say I don't think Trevor Lawrence, if he's starting, wins that game either. Uh, they got some major issues on their offensive line. They can't get the run going. Defensively, they're getting beat on deep plays. Uh Notre Dame, I mean, Ian Book played the game of his life, the best yep. game I've seen him play. Is it, How real is this Notre Dame team? Because, they're, I mean, what's their toughest game left? Maybe a Miami, may, maybe North Carolina? Yeah, you know what? I, I Number one, you never apologize for a win. I, 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 that's my hard and fast rule. I mean, Notre Dame won the game, period. Let everybody talk about what might have happened if Trevor Lawrence was in there. Uh, never apologize for a win. I think that's arguably Notre Dame's biggest win um, since the loss to USC. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the joke that I've made for years is their biggest win was that loss to USC, the Reggie Bush push game. Um, look, the, the bottom line is I, I think um, Brian Kelly's done a pretty good job there. You know, they've made a couple of decent runs and it's pretty hard to argue with what they did. Um, Props to them. I, I, I have no reason to believe that they're not legitimate. I, I think defensively they're getting after it. I think they have the, the weapons. Now, how would they fare against an Ohio State? How would they fare against a Bama or something like that? Well, that remains to be seen. But while we have that conversation, let's also remember that we've included Clemson in that conversation years gone by. They knocked off Clemson. And that's not an easy task, as, as everybody knows. So, 
Uh, you have to give them credit as such. I, I think their ranking is absolutely legitimate. I think you have to put them in the top four, no doubt about it. And they're in control in their own destiny if they want to uh, find a way to get into the college playoff again. Um, so I give them credit for what happened. I don't know how, I don't know how legitimate it is. I, I, I think time will tell, but that's a big win in South Bend. I don't know about you, Al, as I was watching that game, I felt like a kid again. It reminded me of watching college football growing up. And, and the only thing missing maybe was the Kelly green uniforms. You know what I mean? When, when yeah. Notre Dame would roll out with that, but it, it was fun to watch. I firmly believe this college football is a better place with a legitimate Notre Dame. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a better place. They play the ultimate villain or the ultimate hero. And, and it seems like there's no middle ground with Notre Dame. And so therefore I, I firmly believe college football is a better place with, with a strong Notre Dame, and they look to be strong right now. Well, I, I think another program, too, would be Texas to include a strong Texas, a strong Notre Dame, uh, a strong Miami. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. It's nice because when things go back to normal, hopefully next season, and Notre Dame's back playing the independent scene in Texas, hopefully a little bit. Uh, they're losing Sam Ellinger, so I, I don't know what Texas is going to be. But Miami, is, Manny Diaz is taking whatever quarterback he can get from the transfer portal. That's always worked out well in college football. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be nice to see them back on the scene so they can get beat uh, and shown as the frauds <laughs> they are. I haven't forgotten that pass interference game uh, I, in 2013. That, yeah. That, the six phantom calls. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I, Texas has been one of my, I've had so much fun at Texas expense in my lifetime. It is just, it is amazing to me, Al. It, it just, you know, I, I, honestly, it, it's, it's the funniest, it's the funniest gosh darn. I mean, you had them screaming a couple of years ago that they were back. They went nine and four, they went nine and four. And like they're screaming, Georgia we're back. The Sugar Bowl and, and we're back. Right. And, and it, it's like, it, well, congratulations, but you went nine and four. Yeah, you know, like knock it off already. So, hey, Kansas yeah, State is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know how that goes. But yeah, it's uh, it's fun to 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 let's face it, mock a little bit of those brands. You know, let's get to our favorite conference, the Southeastern. Yes, uh, Florida and. Oof. Oh, man. I, I think two things. We talked about it a little earlier in this program. I, it was almost like I watched Alabama-Georgia 2.0, where Florida, once they got protection right, they were just bombing plays, just mixing up uh, their routes, and, and Georgia didn't have an answer for it. it you know, uh, Kenny Davis and uh, uh, Richard LeCount being out, I think, hurts a little bit, but not enough to lose by. 13, 14, or whatever it was. Um, is, is this a year for Florida? I mean, you got Trask, you got Kadarius Toney and Pitts, and seems like that defense has actually, I mean, with the Missouri game and this Georgia game kind of stepped up. You know, Al, the thing that jumped out to me, and you brought it up earlier, that first half reminded me of watching Alabama of the last few years. It really did where 
you just knew Florida was going to go down the field and score. I mean, you, you, you knew it. And it was amazing the offensive explosion that they had in that first half. And conversely, it was like watching Georgia. I mean, even going to the Mark Rick era where they had good teams, but they were always the bridesmaid. They were always the bridesmaid, you know, really good teams make no mistake about it. They'd probably go out and beat a vast majority of teams in the nation, but they just didn't have enough to get past, whether it be Auburn, whether it be Alabama, whether it be Florida. I mean, to me, I mean, I made the joke for years. Mark Rick was the eternal bridesmaid. If you were looking for a bridesmaid at your wedding, go get Mark Rick. You know, I mean, he, he can play that role uh, very well. Thank you. And he'd be a beautiful bridesmaid as well. But at the, <laughs> at the, at the end of the day, that's what it reminded me of. It, it, it really did. So it's funny that you, that you mentioned Bama because it's a, they had no answer for Florida in that first half. I mean, it, it, it's crazy for them to put up the amount of yards and the amount of points that they did in that first half. Uh, it, to me, you just got that feeling that no matter what Georgia did, Florida was going to have more. And the second half went the same way. It wasn't as bombastic as certainly the first half was, but it really was to me, Al, uh, a, a game like that where you just knew that they were going to be two steps ahead and, and, the final score might not indicate that, but that's what it was. They were not a step ahead. They were two steps ahead all game. I think, and I gave this stat earlier, I think through the same, same amount of games, I think it's 64 or 66 games, Mark Richt is actually two games better than Kirby Smart. Yeah, isn't that amazing? It's interesting. Uh, and so Alabama is, is looking like we're going to see Alabama, Florida, uh, December 12th in the championship game. You know, this is a different Florida team. I, I think you were kind of uh, – I get the sense that that's your take too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What no, happens, no. What happens if Florida beats Alabama? Ooh. Because now – because this could be – and I'm not an advocate for a 6 or 18 playoff. I, I really am not because I think this is – it, when you start diluting it, and then we're going to see a lot more Alabama 38, uh, you know, Washington. Michigan State nothing. Michigan State nothing, Washington 7. Uh, you're going to see these games, and, you know, then you get injuries, and then it, just weird stuff happens. So I like the four-game setup. But this year you're going to have BYU's going to have a claim. Cincinnati, if they went out, is going to have a claim. The Aggies and College Station are going to have a claim. Florida, Alabama are both going to be in there. You're going to have Notre Dame. You're going to have Ohio State. You're going to – I mean, this is the apocalypse if you're on the NCAA committee here. I, You know what? I love it. And, Al, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not adverse to opening this up to eight. I have to say that I'm not. I'm not adverse to it. I think it would be fun. I think that there are enough programs that are going in the right direction now where hopefully you avoid that. Um, and, and you and I remember Alabama, Michigan State all too well. It just uh, it sends shiver down your spine. But in the meantime, I'll take this. And, you know, the, the best part about it is um, I, I really think, Al, that this is a situation where um, if that happens – uh, it, it, it's craziness that, that develops from there. And this is where I um, sit back and I say, I understand why 
the committee would want to take two teams out of the SEC, for example. Sorry, I do. I, I, I get it. Do, do, you take, do you take Alabama, knowing what Alabama is, over, you know, use Penn State from a few years ago that kind of got shafted after winning the Big Ten. Do you take them over a team like that? Yeah, you do. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. You, you, you do. They're, they're better, you know. So, um, you know, this is a situation. I'm not in, in any way, shape, or form. So let me, let me go back. When I say that I'm all for the eight, I don't think that there should be automatic bids for conferences. I just don't. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think that way. And, and the reason why I say that is this. What if there's that odd year, that odd situation where five lost Wisconsin knocks off who's ever in, in, on the other side of the Big Ten? You know what yeah. I mean? It's happened before. We've seen it happen before, you know? Um, a four-loss team, a three-loss team or something like that. So you're going to put a circle around that team and say, yes, that team has to be in the playoff. That's one of the best teams. No, I, I don't believe in – so in that regard, I don't believe in the, the automatic bid. More often than not, a conference championship is going to be worthy in that. But, but why take it to chance just in case there's some wacky, zany, crazy up, upset that happens? Why take that to chance? I, I can get with that logic. I, my thing is, though, is, I, you know, while I think some programs are on the come up, I think really when it, you boil it down, you got my, my Tigers, you got Bama, Roll Tide, and Clemson is in the conversation. Georgia's yep. in the conversation. There's, there's a fine – Ohio State's in that conversation yep. for sure. And there's a finite team of elites – that it feels like they get five or seven first round draft picks every year in recruiting. And then you have your Texas, Notre Dame, Michigan, USC, et cetera, bringing up the rear, some of the other SEC teams like a Florida, what have you. Uh, and then you have everybody else in some sort of weird, funky thing. And I, you know, it's, it's, kind of played out the last five to 10 years that way. And I don't see any reason why it doesn't play out the next five to 10 years that way. And it's like Patriots playing, uh, you know, the Jets or the Dolphins, like back when the Patriots were just a machine rolling. It's uh, eight teams to me. Yes, you could get a Cincinnati playing a, uh, you know, BYU or something, or Cincinnati playing Notre Dame, and I think that would be a really good game. Cincinnati playing Alabama is not so much a great game. Yeah, I agree with you, and you, you know what? It wasn't that long ago, if you remember, that that to a lot of people, Clemson was an old bet. I remember telling uh, people, this is going back to like, I, I want to say 2011 or 2012, look out, he's building something special down there. Like, like you could see it coming. And then big, they got hammered a couple times, remember? Big, I mean, they, big Taj Boyd fan over here. Yeah, right? And then they got hammered a couple times. So they, it was almost like they were going down Texas Road. You know what I mean? They were going down the, yeah, oh, no, here comes Clemson. And then all of a sudden, it flipped, and now they've been one of the mainstays. And that's the thing in college football. You know as well as I do. The skeptics 
are waiting for you to fall on your face. And Michigan State was supposed to end after 2013. They had a really good season in 14. They, you know, went back up and won the Big Ten in 2015. But the staying power, you got to have staying power. If you want to be considered one of the usual suspects, you have to – you have to have staying power. That's just the way it is. You have to continuously and consistently put together those big seasons complete with big wins. And um, I, I'm with you. I have no reason to believe that things are going to change in the next five to 10 years. Now there might be a Clemson. There might be a team that, you know, is coochie, coochie, coo cute for a couple of years where we pink, pinch their little cheek and then they fall when the opportunity uh, really presents itself. But then they get over that hump. But I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't see anything like that right now in, in college football either. I don't know who the next Clemson is that, you know, becomes one of the usual suspects. So I, I'm with you. Until further notice, I think this is the way that college football runs. It makes me want to get into DeLorean and hop back to 2014 <laughs> when uh, Mark could have put Michigan State in that next year. But here we are. Yeah, no yeah, doubt fun. about it. Hey, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, you, you're running the po- the pre and post game with Steve Courtney. It's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, outside of the callers you get from Mars, which uh, <laughs> guy? What was the one guy saying the the other day? Like I was listening yesterday afternoon while I was making dinner here in uh, Northern Virginia, uh, and I, the guy called in from like Bay City or something, and he's like. Well, you know, what I think they need to do is uh, Matt Patricia needs to, you know, just give a high five to Bob Quinn and it'll be all right. And it's like, what are you talking about? Man? Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw is the answer to that. That was, <laughs> that was a phone call that I heard. In a, huh? You know, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, hey, listen, we're all trying to deal with it, though. You know, it, it's, it's, it's emotional. It's frustrating. And. It's a, it's a, it's a therapy session. And that's- yeah, it is. It is, you know, it, it is. And, and I don't, I don't have it in me to yell and rant like I used to. I just don't anymore. I, 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 I had to take that power back Al. I could not let the lions dictate my mood on a Sunday anymore. That was the, that was my victory. So, you know, it's funny. Cause I've had people say to me, why don't you yell and rant like you used to? And I was like, it's not healthy. It isn't, it's not healthy. And, you know, and so that was the one thing that I decided, you know, when my kids were younger, I would come home after um, the Lions game and I, I, I'd be surly. And, you know, I could see my kids kind of see that I was surly. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just, I'm not. So, you know what? You, 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 you still don't like it. You still shake your head. You, you still hang your head. But I, I'm just not going to let it ruin my day anymore. I had to defeat the Lions in that regard. Well, just like the Lions against every opponent, you're 1-0 against them. Uh, but, <laughs> but, yeah, 760 WJR pre and post game uh, with you and Steve Courtney, and, and you guys are awesome together. Thank you. It's the best post-game show in Metro Detroit for Lions coverage. I think that's pretty clear by this point. Um, Sean, we got hockey coming up. Are you going to be doing any uh, – any local stuff, any uh, OHL, anything going on with that? No, no. And you know what? I'm not doing the OHL thing. And, you know, I was with USA for a little while. I'm not doing any bit of that, you know, um, hopefully get mixed back in, in, in Carolina a little bit this year. And, 
I do a lot of stuff with uh, high school hockey in the area. It's, it's really blowing up. And a lot of old friends of mine are coaches in the area and, and involved in that regard. So I'm trying to help them out because it's a really good product here in the state of Michigan. So uh, doing some stuff with that. So yeah, you know what, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, you know, it allows me to stay close to home. Uh, the, the travel got a little old. I'm not going to lie to you, you know, whether it be in the OHL and e- even the NHL travels, just it's, it's, well, you, don't, you, you don't like to travel to Sudbury on a Wednesday night. Uh, you know what <laughs> I, I did. And then you get sick of it, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm having fun with it and, you know, doing a show with Darren McCarty as well, which is, which is pretty cool. So yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to have my boots in the ground here in the Metro Detroit area. And can we get you to get a few players to send them over to uh, Coach Cole and uh, see him playing in Mun Ice Arena? It'd be really nice. Danton's starting – he's starting to get some guys. And I, Danton's going to work there, I'm telling you. He gets that place. He understands what it's like. You know, I remember talking to him. I, I did a, um, a game on television. I, I did the play-by-play when they played Wisconsin a few years ago on a Friday night. And here it is, Al. It's Wisconsin and Michigan State on a Friday night in Mun Arena. And there's maybe 250 people there. It was, it was such a depressing sight. I mean, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and there's like 250 people in the arena. And it was funny, I, I talked to, to Danton Cole, the, the head coach at Michigan State, and, and he, he said to me, when I was here, this place was a viper's pit. It was, it was, it was, and we got to get it back to that point. They're starting to get it there. And he's starting to, you know, make some, some uh, ground up and everything. And I, I really firmly believe it. I don't just say this because I, I know Danton and had the privilege of working, you know, under him with Team USA. Uh, he's going to get it going at Michigan State. It's, it's, it's going to take time. Uh, it, you know, the work isn't done yet, but I, I think he's going to get it done at Michigan State. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be too many people uh, wishing Tom Anastas for the back. Uh, Wow. But uh, anyway, always a pleasure, Sean. Thanks, Thank Sal. We're, hopefully let's run it back in a couple weeks and we can, uh, you know, talk more about how the Lions have uh, failed and possibly, <laughs> and we'll give you our list for cider places to visit on your Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that'll do us uh, the show for us. For Sean Belusian, I'm Stu. Next week, we're going to have college basketball. I know you're pumped about college basketball. It's back. We're going to have a whole host of guests on college football preview, horses running around in circles. It's going to be a fun time. Sean, you take her easy, brother, and we are out.